All right, let's let's call this meeting to order. This task kept us over. Yes. Again. I'm sorry for those 120 seconds. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not the only chair that's talking about. Ready for us, please. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Alvarado. Is here. She's here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Charland is not here. Trustee Shequin. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Peterson. We have a quorum. All right, thank you. Uh, the first item is public comment. I have eight public comment uh, speakers. I really am going to limit you to two minutes so that we can keep in that, well, it's supposed to be 15 minutes, but that's 16 minutes because the rest of us are going to be here quite late tonight and we're going to be here all day tomorrow. Um, so in this order, I have Dr. Mira Elman, uh, Dr. Marissa Zuluaga, and uh, Mahil, yes, sorry if I mangled your name. Come on up, and I'll call the rest after that. Oh, sorry. Dave? Mic on. Sorry about that. Testing one, two, three. Okay. Okay. So my name is Dr. Verlaga, Sunday Emergency Medicine Resident. Um, I went to the finance room a couple weeks ago, and it was also pretty disturbing financial figures. But there are other stark figures I want to talk about today. Out of all the two hours in the emergency department, 29% of emergency department beds were available for treating over the patients. And 72% were filled with patients admitted to the hospital. My patient had been waiting for over two days. And this is not a typical day. There are some days where there are less than five beds turning over. There are sometimes forced to see critically ill patients in the hallway or in chairs. Meanwhile, we have to care all patients who no longer have medical needs who have to spend weeks on the floor waiting discharge. Healthcare barriers are everyday reality and it's extremely dangerous. And it's also embarrassing for those of us who have to overhead face to face with patients in their families. And this impacts our hospitals bottom line. Patients live without being seen after sitting in a waiting room six to eight hours, and this is money left on the table. When medically stable patients sit on the floor and make discharge and develop the hospital requiring money or blood clot, it's our problem. And we need to do better. I'm a financial expert with a 75 million dollar deficit that you guys described on the meeting will not be addressed by buying petty discretionary funds such as meals and travel stipends, which we as residents depend on. Financial health of this institution requires much more strategy and planning than simply cutting discussion with funding and most vulnerable workers. It involves a lot of work at the top at the level of people with decision making power and hoping that it will change. We urge that we be part of a large scale solution that addresses hospital burden and waste. Not in six months, six months, or a year, but now. We need to examine the mental health services so that we are not impacted by John George diversion. We need to partner with community organizations so we can safely discharge homeless patients who no longer have acute medical needs back to the community. These issues are complex, but they're flexible and we have solutions that other hospitals have families to deal with. So my ask is this, help us help you. We are providers are so invested in this hospital and this community. We want and can see more patients in a tiny way and we want to be part of the solution. It's our responsibility to build a financially viable institution that pays its people for this family while providing excellent care for the community. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Hello. 
So my name is Mia Alman. I'm a third year resident in internal medicine. I'm here to speak on behalf of myself, but also on CIR, the resident union. Um, so I'm here today to discuss our negotiations with AHS, and I want to, um, I really want us to get back to bargaining, and I'm concerned that AHS is not taking our negotiations seriously. There hasn't been many significant changes since we last met. CIR has agreed to many concessions over 20 years. AHS has only agreed to a handful at most. We're willing to bargain, we're willing to compromise, um, but however, we cannot agree to take changes, uh, to make changes that are going to be takeaways in our contract or that are going to threaten our ability to deliver quality, safe, and timely patient care. Um, some examples of how our negotiations are going. Our last bargaining session was April 8th. Managers requested we give them a package proposal with all of the outstanding things on it. We did. That proposal included wages, uh, patient care fund, meals, white coats, etc. After we passed our proposal, they refused to even discuss it with us um, and refused to issue additional dates at that time. The exact words was, it's a waste of time, we'll call you back. Fortunately, we are communicating better now and are trying to work on some new dates for bargaining, which is a hopeful moment for us and for me personally. But in light of recent events, we've had to take the unprecedented step of going to the Board of Supervisors and other Alameda County elected officials to express our concerns. This is unprecedented. We have been bargaining with AHS for 25 years and have never had problems like this. Um, we need for management to um, help come back to the table with reasonable proposals for us and meet us halfway at the bargaining table. We want to finish this, we want to settle this contract, and we want to get back to patient care, and we would like to feel respected while we do that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My name is Kamaldi Mahil. I've been with Alameda Health System since 2009. I was injured at work in 2016. In 2017, I had to transfer out of the department for the lack of disability accommodations. I transferred to patient county thinking I would have a better, be able to do this job without furthering my injury myself. Over the time, my injury had gotten worse due to the lack of disability accommodations again. In November 2017, I was placed on short-term disability leave and have been trying to get back to work ever since. I have applied for 50-plus jobs in the last year and have not heard anything back from anyone. As of February 2019, I no longer have any benefits. And I'm no longer considering at OHS. This is my last hope to come back to work for our Health System. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to call up some more names. Um, Sally Mahmoud, uh, Cecile Kazoo, uh, Eleanor Perez, that's probably the rest, um, Karen Salzgerber, Salzgerber, uh, Janice Schuster. Right. On behalf of the Diversity Committee, we are asking Alameda Health to consider the creation of a Chief Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity Officer, or CDO. With diversity, equity, and inclusion representing our core values, we stand here to advocate for these to repel at every level in the hospital. 
Diversity is important to patient care and allows for an environment in which each member of our community feels valued. Having a CDO promotes greater diversity within our community, strengthens opportunities for all members, and nurtures a climate that encourages free expression. A diverse workforce feels culturally competent care that can improve health disparities. The CDO is the current standard of education at local Bay Area institutions. In addition, the position will help satisfy the new upcoming ACGME requirements. The CDO will create a curriculum that addresses diversity targeted to staff, liaison with departments to identify opportunities for education, research improved outcomes for diverse populations, and provide community experiences that um, support the education of residents. Additionally, the CDO will attract a diverse workforce, not only for our physicians, but nurses, physical therapists, clerks, and all their positions in the hospital. The CDO should be an individual with a medical degree. These local institutions all have similar positions who are physicians. UCSF, UC Davis, Stanford has a diversity cabinet with seven physicians, and Kaiser has a physician as well. In an interview with Dr. Copeland, CDO from Kaiser, he stated the fundamental difference in the world today compared to previous years is that my predecessor had a human resources background. Diversity and inclusion, and inclusion are valued not just to be compliant with our regulations, if the roles break down three or four roles in each other, there's a low chance of success. It is not enough to have a grasp of marketing strategies, business, racial, ethnic relations, but the CDO must have exposure to a complete healthcare environment to directly address disparities head-on. And physicians are at the front lines of witnessing the barriers our populations face. With a medical background, the CDO can promote health equity research and embed cultural issues into our curriculum. Last week, the Medical Executive Committee passed a non-binding resolution which supported the idea of the CDO. We hope that the CMO and CEO also support us in this endeavor, and importantly, in making us a physician-level position. Thank you. Thank you. Social workers and care management specialists who will be able to write this vote of no confidence letter. Unfortunately, the circumstances have left us with no other recourse. We have lost all trust, faith, and confidence in our director, Peter Underwood, and our vice president, Sheila Nisbet's ability to lead the care management department. We create workflow processes for all the staff without asking for our input. And when we give feedback, our ideas are all shut down. Then we would all be threatened with discipline if we don't follow the constantly changing processes. Maybe we have five leaders who don't communicate with each other, and each one of them have their own different ideas on how to implement these new processes. Attempts to address workplace problems with Sheila Naisma have gone unheeded. We feel that our relationship with Peter and Sheila is irreparable. They have brought more than ultimately. The lack of leadership and poor management style has begun to affect retention and recruitment of qualified personnel. They both foster an atmosphere of hostility, retaliation, and bullying behavior. Peter Underwood and Sheila Meisler have established a pattern in practice of inequitable treatment of all of us and utilizes the threat of disciplinary action as a means to intimidate members. We can no longer tolerate it and are asking for relief. Sheila Meisler's inaction to solve problems within the department continues to jeopardize the physical, mental, and emotional health of all of us. This is evident by the number of bullying and intimidation, such as weekly performance improvement plan, 
issued to all the staff that Chile refused to retract, even if it had no basis at all. And then the minor one issued without following the enemy of the American system. We only wish to focus on building this department and protecting our health in hopes of providing patients the safe discharge planning that they deserve. Sheila Lanzma has yet to realize that the not in an action of this and numerous other issues that have been presented to her make her the biggest threat to our health. A bad manager can take a good staff and destroy it, thereby causing the best employees to leave the department and those that need to lose all motivation. More than 50 people have left under Sheila's leadership. We ask the Board of Trustees and our health system leaders to take the necessary steps to provide quality leadership and direction. In closing, I would like to repeat one last time that the care managers, social workers, and the care management specialists have lost all trust and faith in Sheila Lyswell and Peter Underwood's ability to lead this department. We therefore respectfully ask that you support, uh, support our vote of no confidence. Thank you. Our department, case management, have been through six different department managers, one director, over the last two years under the leadership of Sheila and Peter. Out of seven, six did not complete their contracts. The one manager who did could barely wait to be out of here. Social Services Department has had three managers who left. Most of them have been here for many years. The educator left, the care transitions program manager resigned. In other OHS facilities, over 10 have left. We are now undergoing force of a time almost daily to complete our tasks because it is impossible to complete this task on time because there is simply too much to do and too many meetings in a day. We have at least two meetings every day and we have to prepare for these meetings or rounds and at least three meetings on Wednesdays. I've seen colleagues burst into tears in public places, in elevators, in front of co-workers and doctors out of frustration, anger, or disbelief with how we are treated and managed. Lately, we have been receiving weekly and monthly coaching and or tips or performance improvement process, regardless of our performance. Two weeks ago, I filed for a medical leave because of irregular heartbeats. That started last year. I was a monitor for a month. After undergoing a workup for one and a half weeks this time, my primary care provider concluded the finding is stress-induced and recommended a reduction of my work days. I work five days a week and with other time, you do the math, how many, how many hours I work here at Harlem for five days. My request, my verbal request was denied right away. Instead, I was given a coaching two, two days ago on how to lessen these excessive absences. I was also told to expect a performance improvement process. Last year, my co-worker and I were given a commendation by, by an assistant nurse manager on the seventh floor for something we did over and beyond 
our duty as case managers. The email was sent out to the leadership of our department and all the way to the top of nurses. My colleague and I did not find out about this heartwarming gesture until the assistant nurse manager mentioned it to us casually three months later. To me, this incident reveals more than anything the nature of this leadership and the character of these people. I was sort of very stressed by my doctor, my family, and friends. But I wanted to come here today in front of you as a sign of unity with my co-workers and as a sign of protest of this endless bullying and intimidation. We have brought our issues to people who we believe have within their power to exact change, but nothing has changed. In fact, things have worsened. And so this is now the challenge I, I, I leave to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And your story is very compelling. If everyone else could please honor the two minutes. We really have a huge agenda over the next two days. Thank you very much. That's okay. Um, hi, my name is Karen Solskjaer, and um, I thank you for the opportunity to address you all. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a care management specialist in the care management department. Um, this was a really nice promotion, and I love my job. Um, unfortunately, we have half the staff in this team. Someone's retiring in July. And at this point, to do all the things I have to do, I literally, I literally work um, 10 to 11 hours every day. And it's a sign of the management that no one ever questions me on my overtime. And uh, I love my department. I love Highland. And I'm very motivated that when one more person leaves, I really don't know what I'm going to do. And um, yeah, the CMSs are important because they help the nurses and the social workers, but we also grow. So there's three of us for the whole hospital getting all the billing for the hospital. And we've reduced EB a lot, but we can't continue this and get money for the hospital when we don't have any staff. So um, I love Highland and uh, I'm staying here, but um, it, it is true that the, um, the management support, I'm on my seventh manager since I've been here three years, and um, it is true that people have definitely left. There's no question about it, and um, it's really sad. So thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Janice. I'm a nurse case manager. I've been here since 1992. My whole nursing career has been with AHS. I started at Fairmont um, from an HST, which you guys probably don't even know what it is. It's a hospital service training, doesn't need this anymore. Basically, it's CNA. I did LVN to RL, and now I'm an RN case manager. So I just want to let you know that I have seen a lot here. I've seen many changes, seen many managers. It's never been this bad, ever. Um, as you heard my coworkers, I want to tell you, um, we get assignments uh, changed every other week. We have something changed for us. Um, we were expected to do it a new way. Um, we also said that our managers don't communicate. So one will tell us to do something one way, the other one will tell us to do it another way. I want you to put yourself in the patient, how the patient will feel. Now imagine you're in the ED. And you get admitted uh, as a trauma, you're unconscious. Um, a social worker and a case manager have to find your family, 
and have to figure out, you know, who, who to contact, right? You're in the ICU. From the ED, you had a case manager and a social worker. Now you get moved to the ICU. You get a new case manager, a new social worker. You build a rapport with them in the family. Now you're moved to the SDU, but you're moved overnight. And so the ICU person comes in in the morning, doesn't find you, doesn't know what's going on. SDU person is like, oh, I got a new patient. So they have to read notes from two weeks ago to find out what's going on unless you guys contact, you know, they contact each other. Four people have to contact each other to see what's going on with this patient. If the patient moves up to another floor and gets, say, a traveler who's just been thrown on the floor because that is what happens in our department. We get a traveler who does not get adequate training. They don't know what's going on. Now they're taking care of you. Now your family is thinking, how many different people do I have to speak with? Now it becomes the weekend. You get another case manager and another social worker who's covering for that weekend. You have now had go gone through how many people? Six to eight, right? And you haven't even made it to the next search floor. You will lose trust in this institution if you had to tell your if your family had to tell a story like, oh, this is you know the insurance we have, this is where we're uh, planning to go, this is where we live, you know, everything that the patients tell us and we have to deal with. I have had patients' families cuss us out, basically, and say, what is going on? Why do I have to talk to a different person every other day? Why do I have to tell them the same thing every day? And it's ridiculous. It's, just, it's ridiculous. If you were a patient, you would not choose this institution. I'm sorry, I've been over the two minutes. But our department needs to improve. Thank you. Thank you. The leadership, of course. Is that it? Um, I do have one last speaker. Uh, Mr. Bollinger wouldn't be public comment if you weren't here, so I'm glad I didn't miss you. If somebody could hand him a mic. Tony, thank you. song his movies about that and that was back in 1931 and uh, I do love a grade you know the hearts and the musicians and all that but I don't love a grade going through my room every day every morning because you see in all the in the last in the last um, two weeks, in the last 14 days, I've had no less than eight different surveys coming up with me. And only one was over two days away. And I could tell them what I need and how to do things. But then there are other people who can't tell anybody what they need. And they, uh, so I just wonder what happens to the routine that they have. So I have a couple of other things that I want to talk about. Last Thursday, I walked into the facility and he even asked, 
these my charges. Pick them, I will say. There are unusual crowd, lots of snazes, all that shit. But two had come off, well before the ship started. And so we're on the field. And they walked both through to get out the boats and, and do all the things that charge nurses have to do. And, and, uh, and one of the nurses said, I'm so tired of this. And another one drew me aside and said, I, you know who to talk to. Can you help us, please? And that's why we're going to up here. I get them out. I then put in the door while they were sitting in bed. She said, usually I have 10 or 11 residents. But today I have 15. And I have to make sure we are out there again. And where does that money go? Into into our pockets. They should distribute it to us. At least we would know that somebody hears us and somebody cares. One of the things that's out here that this meeting is crowded care. And crowded care doesn't just pertain to patients or residents. It should it, it should be throughout the OHS family. It includes you, doctors and nurses, and the support staff, the ones who are administering the drugs, turning the bodies, and cleaning up the people. The people that have their own hands on. And uh, I just saw one thing down that was on him. He said, I just, I found that uh, we don't even have a, a, uh, a media rep at a facility. We left a couple of months ago, and for whatever reason, we don't even have one. So, thank you, Mr. Brown. I appreciate that. All right, we're going to adjourn out of closed session. Pursuant to Oh, pursuant to something other. Uh, they're going to the session for a performance evaluation and the announcement that um, no decisions were made in closed session or whatever. Yeah. in open session. No, no final decisions worth reporting out were made in closed session. And um, with that, let's uh, go to our, 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 our wonderful medical staff and hear some reports. Go in order. Uh, I'll let you guys fight over who gets to go first. All right. Uh, uh, we uh, 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 had a group uh, as noted, uh, and physicians um, are 
issues uh, were especially coverage for particular specialties which have uh, been uh, addressed. I uh, see our, our neurology coverage. We have uh, two new neurologists in that covered for our, our current neurologist uh, who is uh, there full time and will be able to cover for when uh, she's on break, particularly in May, and we're hoping that that will extend to other hours uh, during the year. Uh, our cardiologist uh, coverage uh, July, our cardiologist has, uh, uh, will retire, uh, and uh, 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 the cardiology department has been able to recruit uh, uh, full-time cardiologists that will be based at only the hospital uh, for cardiology services. And it's uh, very, very nice. And uh, uh, the hospitals that we do have are ready to, uh, uh, as of the beginning of May, which is next week, uh, we'll be expanding to uh, cover uh, the, the surge patients or the patients that uh, have been transferred here in, uh, uh, from Highland during the uh, so be able to cover the incoming workload at uh, Alameda Hospital. Uh, essentially, that's uh, uh, the end of my. And you've seen a significant increase with the transfer center running. Uh, yes, uh, increase in personnel and and a protocol has been developed as to. Know what the limits are those that might can be transferred, uh, and uh, it's uh, running a lot smoother. But we are busier, and that's why I've uh, been able to have uh, when we have that new person be better workload for them. All right, well, thank you. Sure. Hi, hello. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Sure. I sneaked in. Uh, I'm. Um, Dr. Raikhan, to Vice Chief of Staff for Lehman for uh, Mark and Genial. Uh, thank you for sharing the device. Um, so, uh, again, credentialing, report, and quality outcomes as reported. Uh, our main concerns, uh, as we shared uh, with QPSC earlier, uh, as in uh, the uh, epic rollout, um, to have enough resources and uh, enough training before that, uh, and having access to that, and uh, we've been provided. Um, the health need and its ongoing efforts. And, um, and the other is uh, working with the medical staff measures, um, ongoing meetings uh, between the chiefs of staffs and uh, trying to work out the bigger details are uh, outlined, but we will still have to figure out the final details of day-to-day uh, -day working. What's your timeline on that? Again, if you could remind me, how's it looking? Um, I was I hope Dr. Bullock might be able to answer that. Uh, so, sorry. Um, July. 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 So the the timeline is that the vote will be um, between May 5th and May 15th, which means it will go before our MEC 
for approval and then your board in May. Oh, for approval. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're right there. Yeah, we're oh. right there. And, and I think the, the bottom line is that the, the big stuff, the bylaws stuff, is, is I think, agreed on and everybody feels like we're moving in a good direction. It's the details of the leadership committee mm -hmm. and how those people will be selected and maintain their voice and autonomy that we're still trying to balance out. Okay. Thank you. Um, and the other concern uh, we had was uh, regarding the anesthesia coverage in June and July. There were a few days that we were, there was not going to be coverage, uh, but as I understand that uh, they're still working on it. There was a new person coming on hoping to resolve that uh, situation. I mean, there's coverage for one, um, or if I uh, understand correctly. So, um, uh, yeah, one more big issue is our emergency, emergency department. Uh, the department chair's main concern was uh, the closure of beds uh, uh, that um, from 4 a.m. to um, 10 a.m. Uh, the four beds were being closed uh, for staffing issues, and that's adding to the uh, throughputs and um, also. Uh, the delays in the emergency rooms. Um, did you guys talk about this at QPSC? We did. Yes. Okay. Yes. okay. okay. I feel a little bit more exactly. So, so what, um, yeah, uh, so we're closing emergency room beds. Uh, so patients are getting seen later or not getting through the system. And can somebody explain to me? <laughs> So, um, from my understanding, for the past few months, um, the back four beds, uh, bed number 10, 11, 12, 13, have been closed uh, as, uh, due to the staffing uh, reduction. During that time, it has been noted uh, that private uh, um, lower um, visits, uh, for whatever reason, to reduce the staffing, um, it was reduced. And, as a result, uh, so there's four nurses during that time as opposed to six nurses uh, later on during the day. Uh, but this uh, has that in addition to the inpatient backup uh, where there are no beds upstairs due to the construction and uh, increased number of isolation beds during this uh, season with the drop of precautions. There is backlog and people um, being uh, in the emergency department, held in the, uh, the admitted patients held in the emergency department. Uh, so the closure and the admitted patients in the emergency department is adding to uh, increased wait times, uh, delaying and patients being uh, seen. Um, and uh, also um, poor morale uh, for the emergency room, um, emergency department nurses. Is this, uh, you say it's from 4 a.m. to 11 a.m.? 10 a.m. I think. 10 a.m. Yeah. I mean, is this, I mean, is this, I assume it's kind of a non-peak time. I, I, I don't know. This, is, this has to do, if you recall, and, and so, I mean, essentially what we need to do is we need to, just clarify with and, and have a dialogue with our medical staff. Uh, and I, I will certainly work with uh, John Lee and Dr. Azali, uh, uh, our medical director for the ED in San Diego. This has to do with, if you recall, we had a rebid at San Diego yes. in the emergency department yes. that was largely driven by 
the volume that we are experiencing over the last year. Right. Okay. The patient ratio was, was we, had, right. we had too few patients per nurse. And Correct. During, during, the, during the times of 4 a.m. to 10 a.m., the average number of patients was five. And so when we said when we have these these patients and there wasn't you know, that many patients, we didn't need that much staff. So again, the staffing matrix was uh, adjusted accordingly to make sure that we were staffing to volume, not staffing to number of beds. And so we did that based on all of the uh, historical training data. And so we'll make sure that we clarify that we'll follow up now. On the, on the other point, uh, you know, we are. We have closed beds on the third floor. Uh, so we do have fewer beds than we used to a year and a half ago or so. Uh, but we've been operating that way for a long period of time. And we've been managing the throughput effectively with our teams. There are periods of time when we do get, you know, uh, uh, you know, patients coming in, of also patients coming into the ED. And we're working on discharges and throughput. And so throughput is not something that's impacting San Leandro alone. It's something that we're dealing with at all of our sites. Yeah. And so as we're managing the disposition of patients upon discharge, we're working to, to make sure that we're transitioning patients from the ED up to the floor. So I think there's just some, some dialogue that we'll make sure we, we have and we clarify. Uh, you know, we're not closing beds. We're just staffing appropriately to volumes. And if volumes were such that they were to come up, we bring staff in and we care for patients. Can I ask my fellow trustees who are on the QPSC committee, because you guys had a long conversation about this, right? I mean, were there recommendations that came out that the rest of us should know about? I, I, I feel like I'm doing an inquiry that you guys already probably did three hours ago. I, I, I think it's just what uh, what our CEO said. We need to kind of investigate, uh, analyze the data as relevant to flow. Uh, and okay. I think what, what has come in flow to us from the medical staff is indeed there are bed closures. Um, and I think that's one of the facts of the case. Analyzing the actual impact is what we don't have. And that's sort of what we, we ask our CEO. But we knew there were bed closures a few months ago to, uh, to, 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 to deal with these are These are ED bed closures, which is different than, than the floor bed closures. But, that, but that's what I want to clarify. Uh, we're using terminology here. We don't close any beds in the ED. Which is not staff. Staff. Right. Based on volume. Right. So, so, if, so if the volume exceeds what you staff for, you can call staff in, correct? correct? Correct. And, and it'd be interesting to see how often in a month that's happened. Exactly. Uh, and, and, the, and the efficiencies of that process. Correct. Yeah. And, and patients are leaving um, without being seen. So that is another thing that also needs to be seen to see like how long it be. The throughput in the, once they're in the system, but those who are waiting to be seen, if they are leaving, how many, what is the attrition level? Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Is there anything else? No. Okay. Dr. Boyle? Uh, sorry, just correction. I, uh, I had 4 a.m. to 11 a.m. I said 10 a.m. But 11 a.m. You're right. It is 11. Okay. Right. So um, our credential report was uh, also approved, and we talked a little bit about some of the efforts that's happening in the credentialing committee, which have uh, really stepped up their scrutiny of the credentialing committee for the betterment of our med staff in general. So I'm, I'm really proud of all the work being done in the credentialing. The uh, quality outcomes that we had discussed in the room this year that we presented earlier basically concentrated again on this idea of surge and the MEDOC square in the ER and the congestion at the ER level. It's important for two reasons, and, and I think, you know, when you think about overall hospital throughput and how important that is in terms of 
everything, quality of care, patient satisfaction, learning other physicians across the board. Um, I will share with you that there is another reason that we talk about search now, and that's because the folks in this hospital that are interested in mass casualty have been talking and worried about this for a long time. That's how we started tracking the doc score in the first place, is that Dr. Brett Freeman um, brought it to the mass casualty resource team and said, we need to get a handle on this because if we had a mass casualty right now, we have a full email. What are we doing? How are we going to take new patients in? That's how the whole conversation started. And last night we did our third and a half drill in this hospital in the last 15 years. So I have to I have to applaud the caregivers that are interested in this topic and who are kind of pushing me all the way to get us prepared for the when it happens, not if it happens, because it's going to happen. And there is so much support to do and so much to learn. And the thing that really blew me last night was not the success of the exercise, because it was not successful at all, but the thing that really blew me was the energy and the commitment of people who had so many other things to do who were trying to answer the questions of what do we need to know, what do we need to understand, and, and how do we make this a workable model for when that event happens. And it was everybody from engineering to EBS to the standing nursing suit, Teresa Cooper, who I think can do everything on the planet well. Now, I'm convinced of it. I saw her find a tent last night, and I never knew she had those talents, but she did. Um, but it was the, the presence of those people and the, the energy that, that was in that space at that time to do this work. And it just it made me feel like no matter how much work there is to be done, we have the energy, we have the good people to make it happen. So the third issue we're working on, I'm hopeful in terms of the throughput, but also the, in the long run, it's going to, it's going to serve that we needed it to sort of make us ready for that event so that we can help the community in the way we need to. Last but not least, uh, the calendar, as we talked about, for um, the San Leandro Accord major is right on track. And the thing that I expressed in QPSC, it was that I had a, luckily Dr. Jamali was able to get me and Dr. Ingenu schedule synced in for us to have breakfast this week and we talked about intention and what our intention is and I think we're slowly getting past the frustration that they had about all of this in, in the long run and and I reinforce with him that the intention of our MEC is to be welcoming and supportive and that we really do want to be a team and that, and that when they look at this process retrospectively, I think they'll see that this is not somebody coming in trying to take over, it's somebody coming in and wanting to join forces. So it was a great breakfast and um, I'm hoping that this next few minutes will further cement that intention and that we'll be able to really start working together as a team. And that's about it. Oh, oh, and there's the diversity, equity, and um, inclusion discussion. Um, Dr. Hearn presented a proposal for, as you heard, a, um, a, a medical leader 
in that realm. And I think there was a really robust discussion in QPSC that we have to be creative because we are limited resources and we do want to have an extent that reaches across not just physicians and trainees but also nursing and, and all over the DHR staff. And, and so it probably won't be one person and it may not be two people, it may be an entire group of people but that our commitment and what we voted on, I know what was said earlier by one of the residents, but what we actually voted on was the spirit of inclusion and diversity and equity. It wasn't any kind of position. It was the spirit of that being pursued by this institution. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that unfolds too. And that is it. Right, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, I'll more breakfast in San Leandro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we have a great cafe now if you enjoy this. Awesome. That's great. Right, um, other trustees, any questions? Great. Uh, oh, sorry. sorry. Not to put you on the spot, Dr. but I, I wondered if you could speak to uh, the, the medical staff uh, discussion, the core medical staff discussion around, um, you mentioned through the, the, the work um, um, uh, with um, care management, because uh, the board heard a lot about care oh, management yeah. today, so I wonder if you, uh, and we had a presentation uh, from uh, Sheila Lizra about kind of the work that's happening in that space, and I, uh, if you don't mind, if you could speak to kind of the spirit of that discussion or the sort of uptake. Uh, so, I, I guess I, I'm really curious because when, when we see the outcomes in terms of the data that's being presented, it seems like we're moving in the right direction. So I think there's a lot of layers to this that I don't really know if I understand. Um, but the work that was presented at NEC would suggest that we definitely are getting ground in terms of our ability to have those departments optimize the throughput. So, you know, and I, I guess I really don't know at what cost that this is occurring, I will say that you know the data was was much more positive than I imagined it would be, um, and I was I was hopeful after reading that. I just I guess we have to really be able to look at it from all sides. But there are positive, there are a lot of positive metrics coming out of that department too. So it raises some big questions, and I'm sure there's many different angles to those answers. But I don't know yet. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just would like to echo that uh, I've heard uh, similar uh, what we heard earlier, uh, but from the case, we work, I'm hospitalized, we work very closely with the hospital case management and social services. Um, some of the concerns I heard were echoing uh, from the department at San Leandro as well. Um, uh, it looked familiar, you know, when I was hearing uh, other uh, presentations earlier. So. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Thank you all. Uh, this is time for my report, right? So um, I have good news and bad news. Um, the good news is next Saturday is the gala, May 4th. I hope you've all bought your tickets. Um, and uh, it's fun. It's a Ruby Hill Winery. Um, Ms. Barnes is, is, if she, 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 if she
your first time outside of the organization, uh, but we want to balance that and we'll work with you to do that as we uh, try to work uh, move forward in access, quality, experience, but in all of our metrics uh, going forward. So with that, uh, I, I, tomorrow I'm going to talk a lot about budget. So I figured today I would try to give you a bit of a reprieve and not talk about budget at all, in my remarks at least, um, uh, and just try to do a few mission moments and, and, and remind us that a budget is a tool. And the tool is to achieve the end, and the end is our mission. It's our vision for the organization. So I'm going to uh, go through uh, a couple of ones here that I just uh, hope you'll indulge me. I'm going to start with a letter, a card that I received from a um, provider uh, elsewhere in California. Um, this letter saying, uh, uh, Mr. Finley, I'd like to compliment you and your staff for the outstanding care that was given to my son. He mentions his son's name. He said he had a near drowning. He said, luckily, he's fine. He went on to say, I'm a physician and have worked in many hospitals. I have seen the entire spectrum of care from outstanding to suboptimal. The care given at your hospital, and this was at, at Highland here, uh, was first rate. He said the ER handled everything appropriately and called and updated me multiple times. The physicians and nurses in the ICU were compassionate and professional. You should be proud to be the leader of such a first rate hospital. This is a physician uh, elsewhere in California. It's going to be my heart well, and I share this with the uh, medical staff, uh, um, with Dr. Bullard's permission, and uh, I wanted to share it with you all as well. I'll share a personal experience, too, that gets you, Dr. Bullard mentioned Teresa Cooper, who's the, uh, uh, the uh, CEO here at Highland, uh, nurse by background, uh, is, is a rock star. And all of the CEOs, I would say, at all of our sites, who are nurses, as you mentioned, with your support, we will do this direction, are really doing a phenomenal uh, job. But this experience happened uh, one weekend uh, here, uh, close to, um, was it Easter? Easter just happened. It was a different holiday, but um, uh, it was a Sunday, and I won't get into all the specifics of the detail, but the family had had a series of really unfortunate events happen to uh, first a mom and then other members of the family, and um, um, uh, our trauma docs and others gave us a notification, and I happened to be home alone, uh, and so I came in. Uh, Teresa Cooper, who had just come from vacation, made a point to come in and interact with this family. It's an amazing uh, situation where uh, the staff took upon themselves to unite the family who were somewhat separated through all this and just got them to kind of go through this situation together. Um, it had a tail. Uh, one was admitted. They had to be transferred to other hospitals because of the insurance. Uh, but the father who was involved in this situation took the opportunity two days later to send me a note saying that he was here checking on his daughter and one of the nurses in the ED had seen him two days later or two days prior saw him on his way to the parking garage, remembered him, asked him how they were doing and he just did his heart well. And uh, he just talked, I'm going to talk about this a lot. Uh, just did his heart well to talk about. Um, he said, you, you should, again, you'd be really proud of like the, the staff you have at your house where you really do care. And they work on some incredibly tactical situations, ones that we've heard about. And uh, as I said in my last meeting, it's really tough for us. We have this overwhelming obligation to make sure that everything pencils out. And oftentimes that can put us at odds with one another, but not because we disagree and that we don't value uh, the work. We absolutely value it. Uh, uh, and so we just, you know, we want to take the moments to make sure we know that we know that these people, uh, our staff, our team are doing an incredible job. And it's just nice to kind of reflect that from time to time. So in that spirit also, I want to share a lot of stuff happened in this month, all, uh, over the course of the year, but in this month, sort of uh, core lessons around things that are in the diversity and inclusion space, including what you heard Dr. Bilal mention earlier, but um, the Donor Network West, which is an organ and procurement uh, um, um, organization, they're, they're sort of a network of organizations.
organizations around the corner, uh, the country. That's the one that works here in uh, California, in Nevada, and other places. Uh, uh, Luis actually just uh, they invited him to join the board, so he just joined the board of this organization. They are doing something. This month is called National Donate Life Month around the country, and this uh, one in uh, this area decided to uh, do this very novel thing. They have this rolling art installation called Giving Me Life, and it's stories of uh, in this in particular case it chose to focus on African American organ recipients because they wanted to call attention to the disparity between the number of African Americans on the organ and tissue donor list and the number of recipients that are uh, uh, receiving and waiting for those donations. And so it was an incredible installation. It's chosen to be viewed here because of the great partnership that we have. And if you have time, uh, it's right upstairs on the fourth floor. Uh, so um, uh, it'll be here for the rest of the month. But they've also been going around to all of our sites, talking to our staff about the importance of uh, being an organ donor and what that means for our patient population. But there are two individuals in this uh, um, um, picture you might, you might recognize. The woman uh, to my side here is actually a double lung transplant recipient, and she told an incredible story about it. She worked in the financial services industry and uh, uh, was befallen with uh, an aggressive form of lung, lung cancer um, uh, that she needed this transplant, and um, uh, she had to stop working because she was hauling around um, uh, her, yeah, her O2 tank everywhere, and it just made people uncomfortable, and, and she was an exec in financial services. So really upended her life. She ended up getting a transplant talk about the least of life that that's given her. And she's almost a poster child now for doing network, going around talking about the importance of this and, uh, and just telling her story. The gentleman standing next to Luis actually uh, is the brother of a patient here who was cared for by one of our critical care docs, Dr. Colin Feeney, um, who I had a chance to wrap up with uh, Gassan uh, um, uh, later this month than when this occurred. Uh, but he told the story about his brother being this like just magnanimous character uh, who unfortunately just fought with well, I forget what his story was, unfortunately. Uh, but he felt ill and actually, unfortunately, had a really bad turn for the worse and ended up expiring. Uh, um, um, we lost him. And he talked about the experience of the staff uh, in, in partnership with Donor Network West coming to talk to him about um, the ability to uh, honor his brother's legacy by uh, uh, making the decision to, as the uh, decision maker, uh, to donate uh, his, his organs. And how to grapple with that, but really um, came to appreciate that his brother uh, his brother was such a giving person that it was it was a perfect way to recognize who he was and to uh, to be able to say he told the story. His brother was here, as you know, we don't do transplants here, uh, but um, he made the decision here. We worked with the uh, network to actually harvest and uh, donate the organs that they got for him, and uh, he got the letter that a lot of people get when they give those organs to other patients. You don't get specifics about who that individual is, but the honor is saying your thanks. To your, your, you and your family's decision, this person now has a need for in the blank, you know, that sort of thing. So it's just, just a wonderful story. And this one, again, uh, around diversity and inclusion, really talking about the story about that disparity and really helping to call attention to it and actually take action around it. Um, this uh, month, uh, we actually also celebrated uh, Black Maternal Health Week. Uh, it was uh, April 11th through 19th, I think it was missing on this slide. And I want to give a shout out to several individuals. Uh, the picture on the right here is uh, a, a, a young woman who just had a baby about four months ago, or her baby. Uh, her name is Kalia, uh, Kalija Ferris, I think. Uh, she gave um, a birth here to her beautiful daughter. And she talked about her story of uh, being involved in the Center in Pregnancy Program, which you heard us talk about here, uh, and how she loved Eva, uh, the uh, the um, um, 
with the associate here who works with us who took care of her and all the uh, mothers in her group. And just really talk about her experience and how she sings the praises of giving her care here at Highland. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, who really uh, is, uh, as you know, quite active in this space. Uh, we did a lot of stuff here in terms of calling attention to the work that we're doing and the efforts, but uh, uh, our Trustee Banerjee works on a national level, and there was a local effort here that she uh, reached out to us and made sure and we had like, had a lot of Highland people, including like uh, chair of um, OBGYN participated in this event. Uh, there was some recognition for our lactation uh, consultant, uh, um, uh, Tana Perlucaminda, who is just phenomenal, uh, recognizing the work that she does both here at Highland but throughout Alameda County in leading an effort to address uh, disparities in care. Um, as you all know, we uh, did an article uh, that was in Modern Healthcare uh, last year that talked about the fact that African American women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth uh, than, uh, than Caucasian women in this country, and that's a disparity that just does not stand to reason and, and it's not something that we should accept. So we're continuing to do our part to call attention to it. We appreciate the uh, leadership that uh, Trustee Manager provides both here and on a national level for this work. But I really wanted to call out the leadership, the doctors, our Centering Pregnancy Program, our Midwifery Program, all of which are uh, geared at not just providing a different care experience but also closing that gap and providing a care experience for all of our mothers, and, uh, in particular in this case our African American mothers. So I really want to thank them. Uh, and then there's a story here about our surgical tech that is about a one minute uh, video that, uh, wait, let's see. There it is, mostly. Our, our PACE team did this uh, with Marguerite Curry, so if you'll start that uh, for me. Uh, 
um, reliable and staunch stalwart for diversity and inclusion, uh, uh, and, and it really holds me uh, to the fire here, uh, which I appreciate. Um, it is, as, as you know, an effort that we do care a lot about, and we are quite intentional on in our efforts, but I agree with the point that you brought up, which is uh, we, we, we may not be doing as great a job as we can to actually highlight all of this and to be intentional about it on a proactive and on a uh, reliable basis. So um, with her support, we're going to be working uh, with uh, Tangerine and her team to come up with some type of sort of uh, a concurrent and prospective uh, report card around diversity, inclusion, and health equity uh, that we will um, do before you uh, and uh, see if it's something that uh, will, will begin to move us further along this uh, road of actually making sure that we're, we are leading the way because this is something that obviously we care quite a lot about and you care a lot about and we want to make sure that it, it's, in, it's, it's clear to everyone. So we'll continue this effort with your support and we'll be talking more about it as we go forward. Thank you. Uh, and so with the epic update, I will uh, just tell you things continue to go quite well. Uh, but they are, um, uh, so I always have to show you what epic is. Uh, they, they, they we're continuing to be green. So we're a year plus now of being, uh, actually, even just a year as of March now, of being consistently uh, four out of five. They will not give us a try. I don't know why. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at least they haven't given us a three. Uh, so, uh, but we do have, you know, uh, as you might imagine with every project, there are some uh, uh, bumps and hiccups and uh, uh, our providers have been very uh, clear, Dr. Bullard and others, that there are some concerns that we want to, we, we, we need to be very attentive and mindful of as we move forward with the process of getting closer to uh, training and go live. Uh, we're, we're right uh, bumping up against that. Um, uh, what, what we've, do, we've, we've been doing over the past couple of months is our testing and validation. Uh, we're doing go live preparation. We're considering feedback from all our stakeholders, uh, making sure that we are uh, um, um, having the bi-directional feedback where people are not hearing information or we're not giving them information and trying to make sure that people stay abreast of this. Being responsive to concerns around in order to make sure that our specialists are strengthening one another uh, and that we provide resources around that. So uh, there's a lot of detail here, but in the interest of time, I will, uh, I'll, uh, uh, this will be available to you. It's available to uh, the entire organization. Uh, uh, we, some of the stuff you heard uh, discussed in the QPSC in terms of uh, monitoring devices across all of the organization, uh, training sites across all the organization. That's been a bit of a struggle because it's taking up a lot of the conference rooms that people are used to using for meetings and grand rounds and other sorts of things that people have been incredibly, including MECs, incredibly uh, accommodating and the team has been quite uh, um, sensitive to the fact that there is other business that has to continue for the organization. So um, um, we, we continue to move forward in a progressive direction. Uh, one of the things I want to highlight uh, before, when I came to you before, we didn't have the commitment of all our unions to allow staff if they wanted to participate as um credential uh, trainers or subject matter experts, and now we do. Uh, that's been great, and we're all excited because now all the staff who are interested can actually uh, come forward and do that, and we're enrolling them as we are uh, registering them as we move forward. The other thing I want to point out is uh, we're working with our labor partners uh, to do uh, basic computer literacy training. Uh, we're, we're, we know we've been on computers for quite a while throughout some parts of the organization, but in some, uh, we're uh, totally people-based, and so we're identifying people to say, let's, let's 
live with you now. We don't want people hiding uh, if they're uncomfortable with their basic computer skills. We're talking about using the mouse, using windows, and trying to navigate uh, various screens. Uh, we want to help them through that. And so we're working with our local partners to do that. And uh, we've had over uh, 250, 267 to be exact, people identified uh, uh, for those uh, trainings that will precede the actual EHR training. Uh, so dress rehearsals are occurring, we're looking at uh, uh, that process and uh, we continue there. Uh, a lot of stuff we focus on in May and then finally as you are always interested in, uh, we, was, we can do the above uh, budget. Uh, as you see here, we're about some $28 million behind where we expect it to be as far as a spend at this point. We do see that catching up over the next two years, but uh, it's really helping us because we expect it to uh, spend much more of that in this year and it looks like we won't do it all this year and that buys us a little bit of a review room as well. And with that, I think I'm done. So all right. Thank you very much. Any questions? Any questions? Nope. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I would just say, you know, thank you for sharing testimonials and stories. Really easy. I get sappy though. I don't like doing it. No, I think, you know, this is hard work. Yeah. And it's important to remember that. I agree. Particularly when things are painful. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I will add that just to, to compound your understanding of our impact on the community, the medical director for California Donor Network is a former surgical resident who trained here. So she's affecting the entire Northern California donor landscape, and she trained here. That's so. pretty cool. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, active all the family. So on May 6th, 7th, and 8th, I'm going to be in Atlanta at CDC to be doing a training for all of the reach, if you know, which is that one. And um, they have another, um, SPAN is another program they have of nutrition and physical activity, but they are doing a whole training of all the national staff. So I'll be doing a workshop there and using uh, Alameda Health System as our, uh, as examples cool. for the kind of maternity care and centering pregnancy and the continuity, especially the uh, county hospital connections and the black infant health group. So I to give you a heads up for that. Wonderful. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, why don't you keep going going since uh, we're on the committee report? <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. So the audit committee meeting was on March 14th, and as you all know, Trustee Peterson is the chair of the audit uh, committee uh, uh, appointed in January. So as after two years as chair, I can't tell how the writer I am. But he, the committee is going to be in his very, very capable hands. He's just got you know, decades of experience in audit and finance and accounting, so that is really fabulous. So, um, some <laughs> so I was a guest chair for, for the March meeting, and, and I will be, um, you know, stepping down from the committee. Um, so the highlights are that our external audit firm is Mouse um, Adams, and we have been with us for three years. And normally, at the end of this time, we would have uh, uh, got a request for reports for long-term um, engagement with another audit, uh, an audit firm. But because uh, it's really important to have a CFO be part of that decision-making process and other stakeholders, and then we decide uh, on audit firms. So the 
so for now we've extended uh, the uh, contract with Mossadam for one more year until we get a permanent CFO and then we'll um, send a request out for a long-term engagement. Um, the audit plan, annual audit plan is on track. Um, it, a couple of things that kind of came up was that also the uh, internal audit did a testing to see what, how our prime projects reporting was going and whether we were accurately addressing our key deliverables. So the prime group, as you've heard, uh, has met 54 of our 56 metrics and overperformed in some of those metrics. So we are getting more than 100% of our um, reimbursement from that. Um, the other big thing was that 340B, as you know, is this drug pricing program that we have, which is that the federal, um, that for FQLCs you get a significant um, drug discount for that program. So we've had a steering committee that's doing an oversight. We had a HRSA site visit in 2015, I believe, and they had given us some opportunities for improvement so that we were reporting correctly and we were using that. So there's been a little bit of a glitch with that 340B program, it was mostly an IT kind of issue where the use and modifier wasn't being used, and so we doubled it in getting the reimbursement, and there's some, so we have to go back and get, you know, that sorted out. Um, this was kind of the second time we've done it, so the last time we did it, we said never again, never again, we are not going to make a mistake, so this was, again, making sure that when there are patches and things done on the IT system that folks understand what the downstream issues might be with the, you know, making sure. Um, another thing is the HIPAA walkthroughs are continuing, so our um, internal audit is doing so. Privacy issues were some of the things that came up most uh, when we are thinking about what are some compliance type issues that are coming up, some HR issues, privacy issues, but mostly it's, uh, you know, the, uh, there's con continuous education of our staff about inappropriate access to employee PHI or, you know, compromising uh, protected patient information, the civil liabilities for some of these can be very high on the organization, so really reiterating that program is important. And the other thing is that thanks to the implementation of the Just Culture, the reporting has gone up a lot. So compared to even last year when we had maybe 50 um, incidents reports during a month, we are now getting 70, 75. So the team is still pretty much the same size. So one of the things that we kind of have been speaking about is that we had an external company come and do an audit of our compliance program a couple years ago and they said we were okay for a fairly new compliance program but you know for a multi-site uh, organization like ours that's merging we need to be to be really good you need to not just be reacting to things that come up but be more optimized and proactive so one of the things that our committee at least has been really emphasizing is that the uh, onus of internal audit should be on each department so not thinking that oh it's the internal auditor that's going to come and fix us like look at what's, what's wrong but that, that really has to be something and that culture of compliance or audit is really driven from the top from the leadership so everyone talks about the culture of how important it is to be to have um, 
uh, you know, that compliance is key to quality, and that 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 is important. It's not just the financial risk that we undertake when we are out of compliance, but it's the quality and safety, patient quality and safety risk as well. So, and uh, we do have a calendar that we will be of our schedule um, of what we're going to be doing during the months of this compliance with the Leadership Academy, and we will be making sure that there are um, you know, uh, consistent compliance topics and education coming to the full board as well. And that is my report. Thank you so much. Justice, any questions? Okay. Uh, Next. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, for the Quality Committee, the Quality Committee met on March 28th, um, as, as, as we always meet on the last Thursday. Uh, in the consent agenda, we approved 10 policies and procedures, which you will all be seeing. There was actually an interesting and robust discussion around one of the particular policies, marijuana, recreational, and, uh, and medicinal use. People always like to talk about marijuana. They do. They do. Uh, uh, Associate Counsel Pena was uh, here that day and helped us kind of navigate that discussion. Long story short, uh, there are some disparities between federal law and California law, but we are a federally qualified health center. And, um, What's the main disparity being that? Yes versus no. Yes. So as an FQHC, uh, that, that requires some compliance that is related to our budget and the, and the so, um, that being said, uh, uh, CMO Jamelody talked about case-by-case uh, -case reviews, which we'll, we'll have to execute as this becomes a more prevalent issue uh, in, 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 inside, but we, we currently have a standing policy. After that, we move to uh, the chair's report. We use the chair's report as a springboard for uh, learnings and discussions of articles. We reviewed two articles. Uh, the first article was called Patient Experience, Data, and Bias, What Ratings Don't Tell Us. This was actually a really interesting article. It came out of the New England Journal of Medicine. It was written by uh, the chief experience officer at Mayo Scottsdale. The chief experience officer. What, what, what is notable is that he's the chief experience officer and an African-American physician. And what he also noted was that uh, he really wanted to engage in discussion about diversity, inclusion, and the like. And he talked about top box scores, where we rate the physicians. And he noted something really interesting. He noted that there were three African-American physicians at Mayo Scottsdale. And collectively, they held about a 93% top box score when rated by African-American patients. However, when rated by Caucasian patients, their top box scores, but collectively for the three of them, was around 78%. So this really led to a robust discussion about the things that we're trying to do here to talk about diversity, inclusion, implicit bias, and the like. Uh, and and it, it sort of gives a different flavor when we look at those patient experience scores and something that we should certainly consider uh, rather than, you know, why isn't it, why aren't our provider scores going? There's a lot of there's a lot of need under there which I, I look forward to guiding discussions on that as we go forward. The second article we discussed was um, called The Heart of the Hospital. And this 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 nice article kind of used the analogy of a heart as a pump. Uh, for a hospital. So there's inflow problems, there's pump problems, and there's outflow problems. And we had a really, really nice, robust discussion on this. Trustee Hernandez said something smart as she always does. She talked about a Harvard Business Review article called Staple Yourself to an Order. 
and uh, she suggested it would be very, very helpful for each of us, ultimately somewhere along our process as board members, to kind of uh, follow um, follow a hospital process through. So I, I thought that was a great suggestion. Staple yourself to an order, and 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 Trustee Hernandez used that as a springboard to, to say that maybe each of us somewhere along our tenure here should follow a hospital process to see how it works. After this, we went to the medical staff reports. Uh, uh, just to quickly summarize, I, as part of my standard work, I ask uh, everyone who presents to top, uh, to rank list your top concerns. Um, uh, Dr. Marzuk uh, from Alameda Hospital had four top concerns in the following order. Neurology was a concern. There's been some issues with staffing, gastroenterology, cardiology, and the transfer center. Uh, he felt that uh, things were moving in the right direction, and he actually gave a report on that today to suggest that some of these elements are actually moving in the right direction. Uh, Dr. Ingenue from San Leandro Hospital uh, uh, ranked his top three concerns as number one, ED throughput, which leverages on our discussion today about hospital beds, uh, the SAPPIRE implementation, and then the med staff merger. And then Dr. Ballard closed out, and uh, uh, as I said in QPSC, Dr. Ballard, um, uh, I think it was a wonderful appeal to us. It was, it was honest and it was brave, and she talked about one of the underlying, if you will, root cause analyses, uh, in her opinion, to, to many of our challenges is the fundamentals of the relationship between uh, the medical staff and uh, the executive leadership. And she, she, she noted that there's a lot of bellicose language which has been used, um, uh, war language, and, and it, it just kind of highlighted a kind of how did we get to this place kind of discussion. It was, a, it was a really, really great, great candor and discussion, and the QPSC appreciated it. So I think uh, uh, our CEO is in the room. He heard that. I think a lot of people were in the room, and, and it's good to have these kind of raw discussions to, to advance it. So I thought that was very important. After that, we moved to the SBU quality metric report. We heard um, from each of the uh, VPs of patient care services who report to Mr. Fonseca. Uh, you know, uh, they've been called the Three Musketeers um, by, by some. Teresa Cooper uh, here at Highland, Lori Foyle at San Leandro, and Veronica Shelton at Alameda Hospital. They gave their reports, and it, it, it looks uh, that they are doing spectacular work uh, and as, as, their, as their boss reports. Um, when, I, uh, when Ms. Foyle from San Leandro gave her report, she uh, gave three top concerns. Her number one concern was CNA negotiations. Number two was the Sapphire Epic launch. You're going to see a theme here. And number three were quality and safety improvement processes. She reported that she felt uh, resourced to navigate these concerns. Ronica Shelton at Alameda Hospital's rank order was one, CNA negotiations. A theme there, both of them, CNA negotiations. Number two, Sapphire. And number three, patient experience. She also reported that she felt resourced to navigate those concerns. And closing up with Teresa Cooper here, um, here uh, at the core, who ranked her concerns a little bit different. It, it was not CNA negotiations. We're, we're a different sh shop here on, on the campus. But she said staff burnout. And what she said was really interesting. From nurses to providers to everyone. That's her quote. Her second uh, uh, rank order concern was the code red surge problem, which continues to, to challenge us. And third was epic sapphire. Trustee Banerjee gave a lot of thanks to them. 
Sheila Lineswar, this Sheila Lineswar then gave a nice discussion about the transfer center. Uh, transfer center has been a, uh, a hot topic because it relates to all the things that we're talking about intrasystem flow. And uh, I'll say it was, it was actually a nice discussion to see how this is trying to get its legs underneath it, and it's actually starting to do some of the work. Uh, it still has a long way to go, but it, it, you're, you're starting to see this, this component of our system getting its legs underneath us. Um, she ranked her top concerns as protocols and procedures around transfers. Second was person power to staff the transfer system. <coughs> They probably didn't have enough person power to, to execute. And third was inter-system standardization around definitions of level of care, which is which is a challenge because you you you, you can it's easier to transfer to a lower level of care than than to go to an ICU at another hospital when you're on the floor. So uh, there were some chain, uh, there's some differences in nomenclature which she said confounded the issue. We then went on to patient safety and regulatory affairs and I just gave a review of last year. Last year there were 24 root cause analyses, 24 of them. Uh, when derived by location, 10 of them were at Highland, one at Alameda, one at San Leandro, 11 at John George, and one at Fairmont. In calendar 2019, we've already had nine RCAs, seven of them at John George, and we, went, we had a robust discussion about our safety environment. Which were, which were, were it's a work in progress. Uh, we discussed the True North metric dashboard. Of course, planning in June, we need the, the QPSC and, and then largely the board, uh, advancing the board, we need to make vote on next year's True North metrics. 13 metrics exist within the quality realm, and we're trying to set up a, a regular pacing to, to have these discussions. Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion uh, um, uh, today. Tomorrow, we're going to have about 15 or 20 minutes to discuss. We're going to carve out a little bit of quality time. And then in May, we're going to carve out a lot of time in anticipation of a vote in June, which will advance to the full board for our TNM quality metrics. And that was the meeting. All right. Any questions, trustees? Two, uh, two thoughts real quick. Um, two things, though, that I think might be worth trying to bring to the full board in, in the next year. Since we moved to this new leadership uh, formation with the nurses, mm -hmm. I think we did hear for the whole board to hear from, from them at some point uh, about how that's going. I'm also curious, and maybe other trustees are as well, about this transfer center concept and how it's working. And, and that might be appropriate. It would be great to hear from someone. Uh, it's a bit of a retreat. Oh, we can do, yeah, maybe we can do pre-planning for the next retreat or what to do for, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll track that for, for care management and for yeah. the, uh, um, the acute nursing leadership, which uh, we would recognize Janet uh, McCann is here and uh, Matt Ryan as our uh, uh, maybe CEO for all of acute uh, nursing leadership. Uh, and so we'll have that discussion and we'll have that discussion at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for your Um, and Chuck Brown, we had a, um, it, was, it was actually a, a very good meeting. We had a, um, 
uh, the, the beginning of the discussion was about the budget and um, time to present it. Of course, as we all know, this organization runs on human, human capital. We're uh, pretty much an organization that um, our budget is people, and about 77% of the budget is um, spent on humans and people. And so there was some discussion about the budget and how we, um, how some of what we're going to talk about today and tomorrow and how budget cuts would have to come from cutting positions or reducing positions or reducing benefits or things like um, health care, things like changes to, um, to PTO and those types of things. We didn't get specific, but we know that those are the types of cuts that have to happen in, in organizations like this. Um, we had a, a, something that has been discussed in, um, not specifically, but Tony did a very good, good job in our meeting of um, talking about the organizational structure of HR. We learned, uh, and I'm going to refer everyone to, I'm not going to go into it in depth, but for everyone to the um, meeting book from the HR meeting, because there's a, a big organization in HR that, that total, from total rewards to, um, to labor relations, to talent management, and there are a lot of people that really provide direct support to our employees and, and a lot of services and, and information and, and support. So um, this was very helpful and very informative, and um, I think we had a lot of questions and we got a lot of information. And um, then finally, the. Um, the chart that we've been waiting for, that I had asked for, and that, that we saw was um, the negotiations chart. We have 18 contracts in this organization, and um, we saw the chart, we saw the contracts when they start and end, the number of people in, the, in these, each contract, and it's, it's, it's major. There's somebody negotiating at all times and in all parts of the organization, and um, this is a a critical part of Tony's job and of the organization, um, the system that is going on here. So um, it was a very good meeting. I think that I learned a tremendous amount about me. You know, I've been chairing the committee for over a year, and I've been a part of the committee since I've been on the board for about four years. This is a, a good meeting, so I appreciate it. And I would urge all of you um, to take a look at the meeting, but there's a, a lot of information that that, um, very useful. Thank you so much. I concur. <coughs> There's a lot, lot to offer there, and, and thank Tony for putting that together. Um, I don't know, are we going to let you give a report? Because I don't think we have any. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Such a small part of I'm trying to find some humor in all this. Um, so, Finance Committee met uh, April 11th. Uh, I'll start with uh, highlights related to the moment, which is through the month of uh, February, uh, our EBITDA uh, is or was 3.0% or uh, half a point off of our budgeted amount. And this was the first month uh, since the beginning of fiscal year, I believe, where we had expenses uh, over budget. And so this is a one-time phenomenon. Staff can talk about this in more detail, but it generally related to employee salary and benefit pumps and uh, other uh, lines like pharmaceuticals. 
Um, and uh, on the revenue side, we were consistent uh, under on uh, net patient revenue, but again, we all know that we found that error, and it was, uh, so it was within the projection, the revised projection where we're going to go. Uh, given that that wasn't great news for, for the uh, month, um, staff still predicts, uh, expects that uh, in forecasts um, that we are going to end the fiscal year about on our EBITDA budget uh, just slightly off. The real, the real fun happens when we start looking at the rolling forecast and, and where we're headed for our budget, which we're going to spend a lot of time on tomorrow. So I'll just give a real quick um, overview of what we talked about in committee. Um, the staff continues to report a significant gap in the rolling forecast. Um, we know that uh, several of us noted that it, would, it seems to get worse uh, month over month, and the reason for that is a rolling forecast, and we're going to see more and more of uh, next year in that rolling forecast. So um, by the nature of um, doing a rolling forecast, uh, that you begin to see a clear picture of where you're headed. So uh, the rolling forecast leaves us at an EBITDA of 0.6%. Um, and so that's not a full assumption of uh, the neg negative uh, forecasting uh, because it's just rolling. Uh, it's one year amount. Um, in terms of the 2020 budget planning, we're going to spend a lot of time on that tomorrow, but we're looking at a very significant uh, gap. Um, about a hundred million dollars uh, in uh, uh, just to get at a EBITDA amount that's less than, uh, than what we currently have, uh, a lot less, 1.6%. Uh, um, and I uh, sent something to our chair and to our CEO to a past experience I had, and it was on the oversight committee uh, for Measure A in Alameda County, and that uh, the county staff put together, so I believe it was my request when I was chair uh, of that oversight committee, a year-over-year um, -year, uh, tax collection record for Measure A, and it's pretty daunting. Um, there are years of recession where the amount that uh, this system is receiving was as low as seven, seventy million dollars. We currently have a budget of one hundred and ten. So, uh, as we talk about uh, the EBITDA model, we talk about a budget. Uh, I'm just, as chair, going to tell you that I'm going to not be comfortable with a very small um, EBITDA of one point six because of the reality that uh, we could see a recession easily next year. Um, yes, right, and uh, school districts are required to have a five percent uh, reserve. These are prudent reserve amounts. Um, particularly, we have to face the reality too, as I've reminded uh, supervisor uh, in my area where I live, that um, we don't have substantial reserves. We have very minimal reserves. We have proven reserves for things like the clawback of um, 
depending how uh, waiver dollars that we're going to experience next year, but then we have a cash flow problem as a result of that. So that's a, a way to get at the other challenge we have, which is going to, we're going to need to ask the county for assistance uh, related to uh, cash flow. Much more can be said. It's going to be said tomorrow, so I'm going to leave it at that. I'll just leave it with a personal note. I, again, very much appreciate the, the personal reflections of the staff and uh, particularly Rebecca, because I think this we have to really remind ourselves what we're doing here. This is people are really counting on us. I meeting last night in my neighborhood for a navigation center for homeless people, and um, a lot of people are afraid and quite frankly hateful, painfully so, people who really are on the margins in our communities. And this system here is a forework to that disparity. And we have to do everything we can to make sure it's sustainable and that we continue to have patient care in mind. We're going to in the middle of tomorrow, it's sort of going to be an interesting conversation that we have Dr. Kent leading us in a quality conversation in the middle of talking about a budget crisis. I think it's uh, appropriate because it reminds us that uh, of what we're all about here. So I'll only have a lot more to say more. Thank you. So I have any questions from now or can we hold them until tomorrow? Okay. All right. Uh, I do want to make one comment, uh, Dr. Burkett, uh, when you were talking about the relationship uh, and what Dr. Ballard had mentioned in March, I forgot to indicate this in my personal report, but um, we have moved forward with our meetings uh, with AHP and, and OCARE in earnest, and um, Trustee Hernandez and I have been participating to the best of our ability, and I just have to say I'm really... Um, we're really pleased with the effort being made at the table by all sides, by all parties, and um, hope to have a deal done by June. And um, uh, it's just one more huge task on the list of tasks that we're involved in, but I do think that, that it's an important process that physician leaders are, are doing in partnership with Delvecchio and, and myself and Dr. Jamalani and, and, I, and, and, and yeah, <coughs> I, th I think it's working, you know, and it's, um, uh, and Mike, sorry, Mike, you're at the table as well, uh, but um, I think it's just, a, again, in these tough times that we're all at the table together, I think is really important. Yeah. So, all right, um, we're on to the consent agenda. We've got uh, minutes and part, wait, can we do this all at once? Motion to approve. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right, I've got a motion and a second, all in favor? All right, all right, we've got it. Uh, does that get us to F1? It does. Yeah, all right, great. So, in finance, um, if anyone read the quick report that um, I have to give my administrative team credit for putting together, thank you so much. Um, you know, we, 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 talk, we had a, a really thorough discussion around, uh, around our, our space. Um, and um, as, as many of you know, we, we've got... Um, some space opening up at Fairmont um, shortly uh, because we're going to be moving everyone over to San Leandro. Uh, and this is space that, um, that, that um, we also have a huge need in our county. Uh, we have a throughput problem. We have a homeless crisis. Uh, we have a homeless crisis that's contributing to our throughput problem. 
Uh, and we have, um, uh, we have a, 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 every skilled nursing facility is always full. Uh, I, I remember my first tour at Alameda, when I learned where some of the patients were from and where some of the patients are set, I was shocked uh, that, that we were we were housing people from Los Angeles and sending people as far away as Los Angeles because there's just this huge need. And so um, um, we've also, um, and, and also on the administrative end, and this is you know less of a system health delivery issue, but but a, but a money issue is we're renting space uh, for administrative purposes. And we believe the county has space that could house some of those, those administrative functions. Uh, and in an interest in seeking help from the county, uh, we, we, um, you know, we're going to ask them for money. We're going to ask them to help us tomorrow. We're going to go over some of that. But one way the county could help us is with, with, with space. And it seems to me that we've had conversations um, and, and at the administrative level, our staff have talked with GSA staff. Uh, you may remember at the joint meeting, the last joint meeting of the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Trustees, uh, we had, Director and I had asked for a few items to be on the agenda. One of them was we wanted to have a discussion about, about space and about the, the, the use of the capital dollars. Now, and, and quite frankly, um, I don't think the staff, uh, I don't think the message was clear uh, at the county that we really wanted to have a substantive conversation. Uh, so, so people really came unprepared. And, and again, I, it's, I'm, not, I'm not blaming, I just think maybe the message wasn't, wasn't clear. Uh, and so we have these conversations at the administrative level, but haven't really um, um, produced a, a, a real substantive dialogue at the at the policymaker level. And so I pushed at the finance committee that we had, that we present tonight this resolution um, that um, basically tells the county that you know we want to deal with um, both the Fairmont situation uh, and and the administrative situation and that we, we want to um, basically make a statement and that's what this resolution does that we want to have this conversation about how this space can be used. We want to have the conversation now um, and, and have decisions made now so that we're prepared uh, as the space empties out in January, a little bit past January, um, uh, to um, to put these spaces to good use to serve the people of Alameda County. And so um, I, I, you may have details to add, Luis, Delecky, you may as well, but I mean, this is, this is a statement because I want to just, I, I, just, I don't want to just talk, I want to do. Yeah, I just, from the finance perspective, I failed to mention that we did have a report from staff, but I would describe this as kind of a, a rolling conversation, and, and the budget situation obviously is, is uh, sort of taken the conversation over, but it's related. Um, I'm, I'm, I think we need to uh, push the conversation. Yeah. Did you want to add uh, more about what we're thinking here? Or, or? Can 
Well, I think you, I think you captured it well. I mean, it was in the spirit of giving the committee an update on the spaces and uh, how they're utilized and, and what those, you know, what are the opportunities, short-term opportunities uh, that were reflective of prior conversations, as you mentioned. And so, you know, I think you, I think you captured well. And your, your desire as a committee was to bring this to the full board and try to elevate the discussion beyond an administrative discussion to a policy level uh, with the supervisors and you asked for this, and we, we tried to reflect that for you. So, and uh, I'm that. No, you, thank you. You did, you did well. I mean, we're in a crisis. Not, not only our budget. I mean, we're in a crisis. The entire West Coast, uh, and, and probably soon even more, of, of people that we're not taking care of. Um, and we're putting them in cabins and old hotels and leaving them in hospital beds and finding them under freeways and dead in their wheelchairs on the street, which happened last month in front of a waking cafe. And um, we have to treat it like that. And, 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 and so when, when policymakers have conversations about strategic plans or um, trying to determine what to do in the future with all of the land or, 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 or spaces, it, it, that doesn't, that doesn't indicate a crisis. Uh, and so we can have conversations about long-term uses of facilities, but we need to have a conversation about the right now. And so that's, that's, that's the hope here, is that, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's so, and, and, and proposed with all respect, because I really do believe that everyone does this work in, in government public service with, with, with good intention to help people. Um, but I think sometimes we forget in the day-to-day -day of the masses of things that we're dealing with, that we're, we're being hit in the face with a crisis. And so this is, and, and so with that, I introduce this resolution. Um, I'll entertain a motion if people would like to pass it. I'd like to have a comment. Um, first of all, I, I agree with it, and I was at the Finance Committee meeting, and I um, think that this is appropriate. Um, I, but I, have, I just wonder, first of all, if the item description is incomplete, it's a resolution of the Alameda County, Alameda House Board for the agreement with the County of Alameda to approve facility. Is it a facility or our facility? I'm sorry, In the item descriptions. It may not have a type of. It's just a type It just says to approve facility, which is fine. And then in the um, background, or in the analysis, there's an attachment that says attachment to describe it. So I'm just pointing these things out because if I was with the county and I wanted to share this with the Board of Supervisors, there's no attachment to describe this. So I couldn't oh. share with my bosses what the $2 million is since there's no attachment. Uh, the attachment would be what was presented to the Finance Committee. Uh, That's correct. Yeah. So the so will attach it. So, so the item is actually the uh, resolution. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. well, the title of the action is, excuse me, facility alignment. Mm -hmm. And, um, give me a second here. Just look at the... As indicated in the facility, the winner at the Finance Committee in the AHS holds this for space for administrative operations at the services support center increase of the cost of $2 million annually. And then it says attachment, right. but there's no attachment. Okay, well, that's okay. I'm just saying, yeah. that should probably be included. Yeah. And then there's an attachment too, which isn't there either. So just pointing those things out, because um, this is, uh, hopefully this will be shared. And I know you mentioned it when we met with um, Supervisor.
I also want to mention that, um, I, I, sorry, I mentioned this to Del Vecchio, and um, just a little crossover from my other work. Um, uh, Mark Schaff would actually like to have some of the data that we have on our, our frequent flyer patients, our patients that are constantly coming to the system, high utilizer, sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I get frequent flyer from uh, And because we know that a number of them are, are returning to the streets after staying in beds that we really can't afford to keep them in, but yet have to. And um, you know, she's really interested in bringing together healthcare leaders to, to look at this and see how this problem impacts the city. Because uh, it does, um, and um, yeah, and, and I, I just know, yeah. So, so I think this is brewing not just about the use of these facilities for potential respite beds or, or sniff beds, uh, but really kind of broadly looking at the cost uh, to our system, which, which directly impacts the cost to the city as well, and other cities now in the county, not just Oakland. But we're hoping that we can create some synergy. I know she's interested in pulling together hospital leaders um, in, in the county, of, or in, in, in Oakland, it's you know, Sutter, it's Kaiser, and it's, it's us, uh, to, to have this conversation. And I've asked all that you to put some information. I mean, it's linked all in the same line of wrapping our arms around this vulnerable population that, that needs so much help and, uh, and, and we're responsible for it. Absolutely. So, so, so a model for that would be Santa Clara County that uh, did a, an extensive cost study uh, of the highest uh, utilizer population within the homeless chronic population. And they found an average of $84,000 a year cost to the system. And I would note that that wasn't all the costs. It was the county system costs. Uh, did not uh, quantify city costs, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but $84,000 is quite a bit of money mm -hmm. to, uh, to divert, actually, uh, if you can, yeah. uh, to help someone. So that may be a model for, for this county mm -hmm. to begin to quantify how much money we're throwing away um, by doing nothing really. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. The best practice, which is to uh, have housing and background right. services available. Mm -hmm. right. I, I would say we have to do the paramedics program too. That mm -hmm. demonstrates how, how much you save by having follow up and for house people, for That's people right. who actually have housing to return to, although they don't have a support structure. Often they just have they're independent and they're alone. But so you demonstrate that for people to help them to go. This really is a collaborative mm -hmm. challenge. And we can take leadership. I appreciate your allness to this. Uh, and I would uh, move the motion with the correction of language for the motion um, from second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Great. Thank you so much. What is the next uh, step in the process? Well, we're going to send this along, uh, you know, and hopefully it can be something we talk about at our next joint meeting. Right, I was going to talk about that. that. No, I'm going to just recommend that we ask for this petition. So the idea around future joint meetings would be to have uh, an organized topic uh, and to then bring in people who are relevant to that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, 
consider moving to I've had different conversations with Kimmy Watkins uh, in public health about a desire to maybe bring a lot of different people into the room where we can look at what are those populations that we're constantly touching simultaneously in all these various uh, entities and roles, and, and homeless folks are one of those populations. But it feels like there's a need to just ask ourselves, if we're doing this for the homeless population and someone else is doing this for them and someone else is doing this, can't we all come together and look at the more efficiently that they're needing the care? But it's not just that population. I mean, let's just be clear, it's also the, for the folks that are going up to, uh, uh, to John George. It's also um, diabetes. It's asthma. It's, it's all of those chronic conditions that we know really cost a lot. And I can't tell how often all of those individuals come together in one room to ask, well, is there any synergy around doing something a different way, or can we partner to be more effective with them? And um, I've been teasing, but maybe we need to rent the Coliseum for one day and throw everybody in and organize, you know, little pits around different themes. And we will come with... Yeah, it'll be a light to I'm just saying, to bring everyone together and organize around the various different issues that we know are, are you know, facing our populations. Yeah, I guess, you know, I think that there's a lot of tables and places where a lot of things are being talked about, and um, and I, I like the Santa Clara model, only, you know, they also have much more inter integration in terms of the major systems and major stakeholders. That, that we don't have, you know, for better or for worse. Sometimes I think it's better, <laughs> I think it's worse. Um, and so I think um, I like the leadership that we're demonstrating as a system here to basically say, this is a crisis. Things don't feel like they're moving fast enough. That could just be a perception from the ground, but it, you know, um, and um, it's up to us, I think, to demonstrate or to model, I think, the behavior we'd like to see across the board, which is what are the assets we have? What are, what's every nook and cranny that we have and how do we really leverage and maximize that? And I think it's challenging because of, you know, the presentation that you gave in the budget situation where it's like we're going to have to ask the county for help and really we need to be working together in the face of this crisis because our, the, the, the budget crisis is not just about, you know, you know, one line item or another line item. This is, this is part of a bigger ecosystem, right, that we have shared responsibility around. And so this is the place, I think, I think this is a great example of just sort of saying, hey, you've got this, we've got this, you know, like how can we, how can we brainstorm together? Um, but to me, this is just a half-step piece that, I mean, I think is um, partly symbolic, you know, like, I mean, here's the situation we're having right now today, and here's what we're proposing as a solution right now today. But for me, it's part of a much bigger um, conversation about how we at least align around some issues that are that we have um, shared responsibility for. Um, yeah, that we have shared responsibility for. And we're not doing the words, right? Yeah. That's a that place to start. Yes. All right. I'm glad we're aligned. Uh, Mike, I think you're next, right? Well, you know, it is a, a written report, I think, largely speaks for itself. But there is one thing that I did uh, want to emphasize, and so this is the update on the status of the uh, 
transition of the uh, Santa Ana Hospital to the core license. So uh, as reported, everything is on track and we're not anticipating any uh, particular issues. And this is going to come back to the board uh, next month. And I just want to be clear on precisely what the process is going forward because um, sometimes I'm feeling that believe there may be some misunderstanding. So at the uh, board meeting next month, you will uh, be receiving a recommendation from TPSC to uh, approve the revised bylaws for um, the core medical staff. And this is a set of revised bylaws and is the result of the ongoing negotiations uh, between the two medical staffs over changes to the core bylaws to take into account, you know, ultimately having responsibility for San Leandro Hospital. And as Dr. Bernard had pointed out, you know, there's still some ongoing discussions around uh, the implementation of the larger changes that would be reflected in the bylaws, but that piece was done in the board's responsibility at that point is to approve those changes. Um, and again, this will go to QPSC and then come here for your approval. So basically that now creates a set of bylaws which you know, provide for clinical oversight by the medical staff over San Leandro Hospital as part of the core. So the next step in the process is to basically designate an effective date for the medical staff that would be organized under these provides bylaws to take effect. And so we're looking at that date uh, to be uh, in July. And so the board will approve the bylaws. Then the board will also be directing the San Leandro Hospital medical staff to take action to elect to join the new medical staff or to dissolve um, and to make an election you know, by a date certain you know, in June so that the new medical staff can be in place by June, the date in July. Okay? So it's understood that the vote that's being taken, that will be taken by the San Leandro Hospital medical staff will not be on the bylaws per se. It will be to join the new medical staff. The idea being that they would be more inclined to join the medical staff that is about the bylaws that are acceptable to them. So that's why we did that process first. Okay, so that would be the next, the, the second next step after you have approved the bylaws. So any questions there on that or any further clarifications that I could provide? Well, I should. Shut up, but I'm not going to. What, 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 what if they so choose not to? What if they choose not to? So if the Santa Ana Hospital Medical Staff were to elect to dissolve, uh, which is their right to do so, then on the effective date of the operation of the new medical staff, it, that would go forward as well, too. This is just a question of whether or not they're joining. There is oh, a set of Yes, exactly. So, uh, well, because we're all doing it for the so, you know, you know, ultimately, you know, this board, you know, has authority, you know, over the matter. Uh, but you know, I think the most important piece is that there's been, you know, uh, you know mutual agreement um, on the margins between the medical staff and continuing discussions such that it's going to be, you know, a partnership under this as opposed to the trustees have been very clear, I think, that that's... But we appreciate it. I love the attention conversation we had over breakfast. <laughs> the word amicable, amicable has been used many times, yes. which is a good word. Music to our ears. So, any other uh, questions on that? So, like I said, we'll bring this back uh, next month, and there will be two actions which they approve the bylaws and then direct the effective date of the new combined medical staff. Okay. Thank you. All right.
uh, with that, I believe we're uh, adjourning the closed session for um, whatever government code Mike says we are. Yes, we're going to adjourn the closed session. There are items that we discussed in the pending litigation of what matter, three uh, matters uh, involving uh, labor relations and a performance evaluation. Board adjourned uh, from closed session at uh, 8:45, and we'll reconvene. And we're reconvening to open session. Uh, uh, and open session is closed now. It's uh, 8:46. Wait. Oh, we didn't make any. Uh, the board. The board met in closed session. The board met in closed session. Took no action. Took no action. Okay, we're now adjourned. We're now adjourned. At. At uh, 8:46. Nice and done.